As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. On today's episode of On Books and People, Mark is joined by Courtney Bogrovich, who is an author and high school English teacher who uses her passion for literature and desire to inspire others to inform her work. She enjoys mentoring teachers and helping her students find their inner voice. Her book, Grad to Grown Up, is available at Amazon.com. Welcome, Courtney. Good morning. This is Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, we're privileged to have my new friend, Courtney and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, B. Grovich. Good job. That's, there's a lot of consonants in that last name. And even some silent letters. So you did good. <laughs> I'm still working on it. Uh, so you teach. Yes, I do. And, and how did you get started as a teacher? So I actually, I went to Lehigh University, which is known for engineering and business. Yes. Um, funny enough. And I majored in economics because I thought I should, um, which is some of what we talk about in our book. But um, I also majored in English as my side, quote unquote, what I would say, fun degree, because I love to read and discuss and, and write. And then I did internships and in a lot of different things and just kept coming back to mentoring and working with students and uh, that's where my passion lied. So I got my master's in education and I spent 10 years in public school. And then over the last year, I made a, a change and started working um, in independent schools. And now I'm at a Quaker college preparatory boarding school. Wow. Uh, the only thing I know about Quakers is they make a mean bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> Quaker oats, right? Um, right. So I am in Pennsylvania, uh, obviously named after William Penn, who was a Quaker himself. So in this area, uh, Quakerism is probably bigger than anywhere else. And we have a group of what's called the Friends Schools in the, um, you know, Quakers, they call each other friends, a society of friends. And right. what's really neat about it is their beliefs are just in this idea that everyone has the light inside themselves as individuals and that life should be about just bringing out what you have within yourself mm. um, that can be celebrated. And it's all about simplicity and peace. Um, at school here, they do twice a week, they do what's called silent worship where you have to sit in silence. Um, anyone's welcome to stand up and share ideas if they want to, or you can just sit for the 30 minutes and in total silence. Um, there's a lot of really cool practices that drew me to the school, just really praising the individual acceptance um, 
and kind of in a, in a lot of ways going back to basics. Boy, 30 minutes without saying something. That's uh, for a guy who has ADD. Is that a squirrel? Uh, that, <laughs> that would be hard. It is very difficult. It's a, I think it's a muscle like anything else that you have to, to build. The first time I did it, it was extremely difficult for me. I have anxiety. So I was just, my thoughts were racing. Right. Um, but the more you do it, the more you just feel um, like you can do it and it becomes something that you look forward to and there just becomes a little more space in your mind. And like empathy, it's a muscle that grows with use. Yes, definitely. And they do give you like <clears throat> where we practice, they give you, it's this beautiful original building that they brought up from Philadelphia. Um, that's like an original worship house, but they um, give you a prompt as well. So you are supposed to be like thinking about something that's thought provoking. So you have some sort of focus and uh, so you can go there or your mind can be thinking about squirrels. That's okay too. Right. Well, real meditation is about letting the thoughts come in and then go back out again. Exactly. But I'm a huge proponent of what I call the hour of power, where you read for 20 minutes based on your number one goal, and then you sit and just think about your goal for 20 minutes. And so I was kidding when I said what I said before. Uh, I'm a huge <laughs> proponent. I, a yeah. pastor friend of mine said, if prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening. Mm -hmm. And I think in yeah. that listening is when the ideas come. Exactly. And what... What a skill that we're losing, especially I think as young adults coming up, we, we don't give that. We just assume that they can't do it. They can't listen. They can't be silent there. They need their phones. They need their screens and, right. um, but they can, and they love it. They, they learn to really embrace this practice. Well, it's, it's a challenge for all of us, not just millennials, baby boomers too. We're all just so attached to our phones. In fact, the next book I'm going to write, I'm calling it, get your head out of your app. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> so what do you love about teaching? Uh, everything. So you'll, it's funny. There's a lot of people who talk about teenagers and this generation, and they all have things to complain about. And I just think they are the best people ever. I love my students. It's what makes everything worthwhile. So being in the classroom with young adults and helping them figure out what they care about, who they want to be, um, as well as, of course, the skills of speaking, listening, reading closely, um, you know, communicating and writing. Those are our passions of mine, but it's really the people part of it that I love, being part of a community, um, helping students feel seen and validated and figuring out what they wanna do next or realizing that it's okay that they don't know what they need to do next. Um, I just am motivated to be the person that I think we all needed as teenagers, just to have someone there to listen and to see you. My German teacher in high school used to say, Mark, you're better than that. Yeah. I would act out in class and, you know, wise, be a wise acre. And she would pull me aside and said, I expect more from you. You're better than this. Mm -hmm. And man, that tough love was really important. You know, I really wanted to please her. So she's my favorite teacher. And I think yeah. teachers are both underpaid and underappreciated. Well, thank you for saying that. And I, I think, I mean, every student needs something different, but I always go back to the idea that students don't learn from people they don't like. 
And so I think you just said the key <laughs> thing there. You wanted to please her. <laughs> so, I can't stand that guy. Hey, exactly. you, it's true. It's oh, really true. My in my junior year, the history teacher was Mr. Peterson. He was the football coach, and I wouldn't turn out for football. I was a basketball star at my high school, and he wanted me to play football, and I and I told him no. And he was really mean to me the rest of the time. So when we were assigned by him to read Rabble in Arms by Kenneth Roberts, which I'm sure is a fantastic novel about history, uh, I didn't read it. I bought a book report for my sister and turned it in as my own. Exactly. Because uh, I couldn't stand the guy. And it's like, exactly. I'm not even going to read a book he tells us to read. That's how far I went in, in you know, making your, your idea come true. Uh, exactly. You're, you're exactly right. The people that care about us and love us, as teachers, those are the ones we tend to go the extra mile for. Right. They don't. There's a famous quote. They don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Right. That's from Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the way he said he goes, it really is true. <laughs> People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. <laughs> well, That's it's how good, Zig used good to say it. Well, so I know the next question is it's kind of self-evident. It's probably your dad, but... Who were your mentors coming up? Who are the people you really made a difference in your life? I mean, it's teachers. It's both my parents. Um, it is coaches. I think that I will talk definitely about my father. So we wrote this book together, Grad to Grown Up. And right. I was just lucky to have a father that wanted so badly to succeed at everything, including being a father. And so I had someone who provided for us, but also, um, you know, made his living, was growing as a person, but also was going to make fatherhood, you know, the center of his world as well. And so mm. he would, when he was really busy at work, growing his company, um, I remember as a little girl, he would come home from work put everything down, take 30 minutes to himself. And then there's, there's me and three siblings. He would do with us what was called, which is a weird name now, but we called it special time. And right. um, we would set the timer for 15 minutes and we each got 15 minutes of undivided attention from him. And we would uh, like once it beeps, the next person to, to have their 15 minutes would run in and tell him what they wanted to do. And we all wanted to go last because he'd give us a little extra time. Um, but I think watching someone who was so good at what he did professionally also put his family and his values at the center of what he did motivated me because right. I just I wanted to be someone who excelled as well, um, but also in the ways that mattered. Like he always talked about how your your foundation and your values need to be at the center of your choices and your career. And mm. he was very successful financially, but it was, he came from nothing. So we had to earn everything in our house. Um, you know, I remember I had a, a chinchilla growing up, a pet. I had a teacher who had one and I really wanted one. And um, I really wanted this cage for my chinchilla. I wanted it to be um, like this multi-story cage. It was like the Taj Mahal of chinchilla cages. And I remember my dad saying to me, I mean, you can, you can provide that, you know, for Joey or chinchilla, but you're going to have to 
earn it when we care enough about people, you know, we, we put the effort in. And so I was like 10 years old. I spent every weekend doing things around the house so that I could get this cage for Joey. And, um, I think about that. You had to earn it. Yeah, I had to earn it. And I think about that now as a parent, like he could have bought that for me so easily, but, um, it meant a lot more earning it and, and knowing that I could provide for those that I loved. And, um, so I think about my dad all the time now because I'm a young parent. I have a two-year-old and I think to be such a good father as well as successful in your career is difficult to find. And he really did do it all. He does do it all. My parents did something similar. They said, but you know, if you want something, if you earn half, we'll pay the other half. Mm-hmm. And that was my first bicycle. That was a mini bike. It was my first car. Yeah. Uh, but it turned out, I thought they were teaching me self-reliance. It turned out we were just poor. So, <laughs> Aww, you know, yeah. and I didn't know we were poor till seventh grade when Julie Jacobson said, how come you wear such weird clothes? I was like, what? Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's the, the amazing part there is that you didn't know until seventh grade, right? My dad tells right. a similar story. They always got their Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. And he thought it was just <laughs> this like wonderful tradition. And then he realized when he got older, that's when the trees were half price. So that's when they got their Christmas tree. Or free sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember doing that in the Air Force. I didn't have enough money for a tree and I got it on Christmas Eve. It's so funny. Uh, It sounds like your dad's a great guy. And he, you co-authored this book with him. So before we talk about the book, uh, what books inspired you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, because with an English degree, you had to read a fair amount of Shakespeare and Chaucer and Eliot. Absolutely. And- yeah. So I think this is a typical one um, for children. But I remember the first book that I actually loved that made me think deeply was The Giver by Lois Lowry. And I just like when I go back thinking about my childhood, what made me actually love to read and love books was, was that book because it made me think about how at such a young age, I was like 10 reading it, but it made me realize that like, there is a purpose for pain, um, and suffering and that you can't know joy without it. And I just remember having all these, you know, really deep thoughts about what I wanted my world to be like. Um, so the giver was definitely, uh, a book that changed me. Um, and I love, one of my favorite books that I studied in college is Ceremony by Leslie Marmon Silco. And um, it's about, it, it really brings like PTSD and um, Native American traditions to the forefront. And I was studying at the time um, what's called toxic discourse. So literature uh, about how it, it was fiction, but it's about what's a lot of the themes were around, you know, what's happening to our environment and how that affects um, our health, our futures, our well-being. And I remember thinking, what is the solution to this? Because if, you know, multi-million dollar companies can just, you know, pollute rivers or, you know, this is how the world functions. Like, what is, how do we live differently? This is all we know. And so the book Ceremony is one that I keep going back to because I think there's a lot in the Native American culture and just how they viewed life and the land and and respected it and found peace in it. It's something that I think is what I look at as a solution to some of the 
things that plague us today and going back to some of that simplicity. So I love that book as well. Mm. So you wrote a book called Grad to Grown Up. Uh, why 68? <laughs> Very you- good question. Um, so there's 68 tips to excel in your personal and professional life. And when we set foot on this journey, my dad really has been saying for a long time, he actually, he ran, runs an internship program at his company every summer and they get four of the best and brightest, um, students. And once a week, he'll sit down with them and do a session that he has come to call Gene's life lessons. And so it would be nothing necessarily about the job, but things that these, these young adults needed to know as they started to graduate college. And he would teach them things like how, you know, how you pay off your college loans. He was shocked that these brilliant students didn't know when their loans were going to kick in and what their monthly payment would be. Mm. Um, Things like, you know, when you start your first job and you're offered a 401k, what that means and how much you should be contributing and the questions you should be asking, um, you know, or how he would say like, how many of you want to live on your own? And everyone would raise their hand, but he'd say, okay, how many of you know what it'll take to do that? And then right. they'd sit down and make a budget. Um, and so these are things that everyone would come back to him and say, like, that's the best part of this. Like you, you know, you need people need to know this. You need a book. So he is not a, he's not a writer. He's great at public speaking. He, um, he, he's a speaker. So what he would do is record his ideas for what these tips should be that we should put in a book for young adults. Um, and he had almost 200 of them. Um, but my job was to come in as the writer to figure out how are we going to craft this? How is this going to look? And get rid of a lot of the chapters that, you know, didn't have as much substance. And then I'm going to guess he didn't like that because he was connected to those 200. Yes. Oh, it was hard, but it's hilarious. Like the one we keep going back to and making fun of him for is like a 3 a.m. voice note I got that says, CJ, that's what he calls me. Siege, uh, we need a chapter about flossing. I floss every day. I have little toothpicks in my car. And, you know, the gums are really, really important for your overall health. And I'm like, dad, flossing's not going to make the cut. I'm sorry. No, it's important, sorry, but, pop. Yeah. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not happening. So um, what happened was he envisioned the book as what he would like to call almost like a bathroom book where there would be like, he really wanted a hundred tips. He liked that number. It was solid. Um, really short, like one page. Um chapters or tips but when we came to really craft the book we realized when we were working with our agent and our publisher that these chapters and tips needed stories they needed responses they needed at some points charts or graphs or tables Um, and so as the book came to fruition and we added my voice into it as well it just became this idea that we're gonna have to pick and choose chapters we have five sections. We have to, we don't want to go over a certain word count because it still needs to be digestible to readers and, and quick reading. And it just landed at 68. That's what made the cut. So it's just guessing by golly, really. Yeah. So you're getting our 68 best tips though. Right. Out These of are the ones left. <laughs> yes. 
Well, the editing is the worst part of the writing for me, but it's so necessary. Uh, yeah. So who should read it? it you know, the, the title is Grabbed a Grown-Up. So I'm assuming that your core audience are uh, college graduates, correct? Correct. So, I mean, you know this about publishing. Um, people want you to have a very clear target audience and be able to market you a certain way. And so the perfect reader is a high school or a college graduate. Um, because we have the sections are life advice, uh, job search, career, health and relationships, and um, personal finance. And so when you're starting your career, when you're going out on your own, that's really the age. And the, the publisher wanted to sell this as a graduation uh, gift. And it is a great gift for any graduate. This is like the gift that we'll keep on giving. As I like to say, you can go back to it with, with each, you know, big step in your life. If you're going to purchase a car, you go back and you open up to the leasing versus buying a car chapter, but, um, all things had, that aren't taught yeah. in school. Exactly. That was actually like our, before we had a real title, that's what we would call it. Everything you didn't learn in school, but you need to know. Um, that's a pretty good title too. Yeah. But, but grad to grownups, yeah. a nice alliteration. I like that. Yes. Thank you. Um, but what ended up happening and, and you know what i like the most you yeah. know what alliteration means yes <laughs> <laughs> because you're an english major exactly I, i'm glad you know you know the term uh we actually had like a, a list of 100 working titles i i was trying everything i tried analogies metaphors uh but the alliteration stuff but we we don't want that to also like put us in a corner grad to grown up. We've had so many people come up to us that said, well, I, I consider myself a grown up, but this stuff's really good. I, I need this. Uh, we've had 60 year olds, 50 year olds. Um, it's a great book for a young adult who maybe wants to pivot in their career or mm. step up and, and go to the next step or really anyone who just wants to live a more fulfilling life. There's some really good tactical skills about being an A-plus interviewer and crafting your resume and meeting the right people in your field and how to do that and sample emails to send. But there's also just really sound advice like um, knowing your foundation and um, questions to ask at your yearly physical and, and how to take control of your own uh, healthcare journey. So with June coming up and lots of grads uh, leaving, uh, how does somebody order your book? So because it we, seems to me this yeah. would be the perfect time to order it. Yes, it's, it, it really is. And so we're on Amazon. Um, we are really at any major retailer. You can order us online from Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble. Um, we have an independent publisher if you want to go, uh, an independent uh, bookseller if you want to go that route. Um, but a lot of people have been going to Amazon and our website is gradtogrownup.com, G-R-A-D-T-O-G-R-O-W-N-U-P.com. Um, and all the information about where you can buy it is there as well. Perfect. How has this book changed the way you see the world? So this book has changed everything for me. When I started writing it with my dad, I was on maternity leave. My son was born two weeks into the shutdown, the pandemic, um, March 30th of 2020. And I realized that I wasn't returning to work as soon as I thought. 
uh, and I needed, I needed kind of a lifeline to still keep me, um, you know, engaged. And so this project was that for me. And as we went through it, I've grown up with my dad as, as my little built-in guru and, and advice giver, but there's just some things you need to hear again and to go through for it to really sink in. And so through writing this book, I realized, because we talk a lot about how you have to follow your passion and do something you love and learn to monetize that. Mm. Um, Great advice. Yeah. And I realized I was not happy. And so in public school, it's a really hard place to be right now. And I had stayed just because it was stable. I had tenure. I had great benefits. Um, Safety and comfort zones. Exactly. And that's what I was doing. And now I had this little boy sitting in my arms. I'm writing this book about like how to just be more fulfilled and find your happiness. And I realized I needed to be a better example for my child and to actually start living. So I left my job after writing the book. I was like, I need to to practice what I preach. And that's when I came to this private school, I made sure I could work somewhere where um, I was going to be part of a community where I really believed in the purpose and the mission um, and could teach the way that I felt was the most beneficial. And so it has um, to matter what you're doing. Exactly. And, you know, it is, you don't get paid as much at a private school, but, you know, your happiness is, is a lot more important than you know, a salary differential. So it, this has changed everything for me. I was thinking as I'm getting to the end of this year, this is my best professional year I've ever had. And I'm happy. I want to come to work every day. What's amazing to me, I just finished uh, up the third edition of my book, my first book, Freedom from Fear, which came out over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was astonished at how many of the stories and the information in there I talk about all the time. I didn't realize that it had insinuated itself into my subconscious and kind of comes out when I talk. Mm -hmm. And do you find that that's kind of happening to you as well, that the, you kind of own the information in the book? Absolutely. And it's funny because a lot of it, I feel sometimes, you know, it's my dad's, he's the, the CEO of this executive recruiting firm that has done these amazing things and, and made a science out of, you know, moving up in your career. But yeah, I found it's like, really infiltrated who I am and become part of part of my soul. And I really believe in everything that's in this book. It informs our life, doesn't it? For sure. So what advice would you offer to teachers? You've been doing it a while. I would tell teachers that if you, if the noise is too much, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, you, the administrators, the, the state laws, if it's so much that you can no longer close your door and enjoy the time with the students, which is why you went into this most likely, then you need to find another way so that you can. And right. to don't, it doesn't help anyone if you stay and you're unhappy. And that's, you know, it's a really hard thing to say because our kids need good educators. Um, but we also need educators who are happy and that's, that's, that's hard right now. And, and something in the system needs to change. Are there too many helicopter parents? Um, what we say now that with this generation, it's lawnmower parents. Uh, and what that means is rather than hovering above you, 
they are literally taking away every obstacle in the child's path Mm. so that it's smooth sailing um which is hard because if if people aren't resilient they don't have that grit and they don't know how to fail the real world is a a scary awful place and the and the irony is it's the failing forward it's the tenacity the persistence uh, the grind uh, the deep practice is what makes us uh, it moves us towards mastery exactly failing is literally just the opportunity to try something again with more information right you know the one thing i taught my kids well i told them you know your future so bright it burns my eyes you're going to go so much farther than i ever did in school sports and business and they heard that thousands of times but the most important input i had as a parent was saying that's okay you'll, you'll get the next one i remember i failed my driver's license test and my father said to me on the way home he said mark they have to fail a certain percentage you were just it was just the wrong day for you you'll you'll pass the next one and i remember thinking you know the solace that provided me it's like i didn't you know later on i thought i was just saying that to make me feel better but the reality is he was right number one and number two we have to have some failure in our life and fall in the mud and, and trip over the the branch because it gives us longer legs for bigger strides absolutely we my, there's a chapter in the book there's no success without failure and my dad actually um right out of college he was able to buy some ownership in the bar that he had worked on uh worked at in long island and it was the first bar that had all original music, some of the greats, the stray cats, they would catch the greats on their way up or their way down. Um, and it did so well that he Wait a never- Wait where on Long Island? Uh, oof, I don't know. It was called um, Heckle and Jekylls and okay. The Right Track. Well, I, um, I attended, I went to a bar called My Father's Place on Long Island. Oh, okay. When I was 20 years old. Your dad probably knows- probably remembers a band called the good rats then if that's the case i'm I'm he probably (laughs) does but he found he found success so early he was making money and then you know he didn't like something happened with the owner he tells the story in the book and he went out on his own opened his own bar and that one failed miserably Mm. he thought i can do it on my own um and some things were out of his control like there was neighbors in the town that um, would call the cops every night because of a noise ordinance, um, things like that. And it just failed. And he talks about that being the most pivotal, pivotal point in his life because he realized to like, he never took anything for granted after that. Hmm. And he realized he could go on. I absolutely. Yeah. If I did it once I can do it again. Yeah, exactly. And he started by, uh, selling typewriters. Um, and then what's a typewriter? Exactly. Right. Um, so he started in sales and now he, he, you know, he moved up and he has his own, um, executive recruiting firm, Rice Cohen international, but, and, and they're very good at what they do, but he remembers he got, he kept, he was very good at sales. He would always be moved up and get more regions. And he was being recognized at an event for being a top sale salesperson. And they, they interviewed him and they said, how do you handle the pressure. And he goes, what pressure? You want to know what real pressure is? That if you don't pay your light bill, your bar, the lights are going to go out. You can't get your customers. 
Uh, you're going to have no electricity and the cops are going to be called. And he talked about that bar. He's like, that's pressure. Right. And after that, he just, he was prepared for so much because he really fell on his face and, and got back up. Longer legs for bigger strides. Absolutely. So do you have a follow-up book planned? So what's interesting is um, this was just a dream of my dad's. And now that I went through it with him, I, I love to write. So I'm trying to figure that out next. I mean, I'm not leaving the classroom at all, but I really think that um, I know my dad wants to do a parenting book next, which didn't fit into this. So that's something I might help him, you know, along with doing something instead of grad to grown up, you know, maybe um, single, single to single to dad or, you know, single to parent, something like that. Um, but we also want to make a workbook companion to grad to grown up. So if you want to sit down and actually do some of these thought exercises, we would have that as well. Both good ideas. I suspect there's a book about teaching in your future as well. I would love to do that. I would. Um, I want to get a little, you know, I'm a decade in, but I think I need maybe a decade more and some reflection, but there's definitely some wild stories you can tell about uh, the classroom. And we always talk about how um, as teachers, we would love to put like our vignettes together of just crazy experiences and make a collection of it. What if you interviewed the top 10 or 20 teachers in the country? That, I mean, that would be great. What are the causes of teaching success? And here's interviews with, you know, 15 or 20 of the finest teachers, the finest yeah. college professors, the finest educators. Nah, no one would want to read that. <laughs> I also love, I always think about maybe doing a podcast with students where they can come on anonymously and just share what they wish the adults in their life really understood. Mm. Yeah, there's, uh, I have a theory that everyone from eight to 88 is looking for three things, appreciation, respect, and understanding. Absolutely. And I we use that as an acronym, ARU, you know, are you doing that? Yeah. And everybody needs to be appreciated. Everybody needs to be respected and everybody needs to be understood. And it's, those are three things that are missing in a lot of people's lives, sadly. Absolutely. Yep. You need to validate the people you love. So uh, we have just a couple minutes left in closing uh, parting shots. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, closing thoughts. P.S. One yeah. more thing before I go. Sure. Um, so I like to always give like a few little, we just have these like random tidbits that come out in our chapters that I think are good for everyone to hear. Um, so if you're listening and you're trying to pivot in your career or, or take the next step, uh, here are some things I would tell you. Uh, number one, become an A plus interviewer. Um, there are some steps that you can take that are really tangible. They're, they're skills that you can learn to interview well. And if you want that next position and that next role, you have to be able to sit in the, the chair and pass that interview. So we have a five-step process in our book that makes it uh, really approachable. And if it comes down to two people in the interview process, they're gonna pick the one that they liked better. Um, and so, so we have some tips about 
that we talk about establishing rapport. And when you talk to someone stealing with your eyes and looking around the room and at, you know, can you bring up something? You see a picture of them with their child. Can you talk about that? Can um, you ask a few questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we talk about questions, asking win-win questions and coming prepared with the right questions to ask and what they sound like. And it's really invaluable information. So become an A-plus interviewer. It's going to help you in so many ways. Um, number two, especially for young adults, do internships, do free internships, whatever you can, but do not pursue a degree or a job. If you haven't walked in the shoes, sit around the water cooler at a job and hear what people are complaining about and saying on the day to day. Um, if you ask someone, if you, you say you respect them and you want to learn from them, people are willing to give you internships. And so, so do that. Um, and number three, the one that I like to tell people is don't respond to texts and emails when you are angry. Give it 24 hours. Measure twice, cut once. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm an old pipe fitter. So, you know, so, but I also <laughs> heard you say, Hey, I think I want to live on a houseboat. Well, why don't you rent one for a week or two? You might find out you get seasick. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's funny when you ask young adults, like I ask my students what you want to be, they all say things, right? They, what they think they're supposed to say, lawyers, doctors, um, accountants, but they've never done that. Right. Because you can at 16. So you need to go into those offices and you need to do the day in and day out. I was ready to go to law school and thank goodness I found an internship at a law firm where I could do everything from, you know, go to arbitration, go do the do the uh, paperwork, go to the courtroom. And I realized it wasn't for me, but could you imagine right. if I had spent all that money on law school? You knew what you didn't want. Exactly. So well, we're almost out try. of time. Thank okay. you so much, Courtney, for making the time out of your busy Thank schedule you. to talk with us today. And uh, one last time, how does somebody get a hold of your book? Uh, so grad to grown up.com, G R A D T O G R O W N U P dot com um and you can buy the book on amazon follow us please at grad to grown up on instagram and facebook and we'd love to connect courtney thank you so much thank you mark uh your future's so bright it burns my eyes <laughs> thanks as a leader in advanced hvc technologies mitsubishi electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency comfort and wellness from electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, 
www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans. <laughs>